We're now in week five of a six-week study we've been doing called The Big Life, looking at the life that God's called us to, which as Christians, we all aspire to live that life of purpose and abundance in terms of God's kingdom and God's work, the gap between that and our day-to-day life. And at the heart of our day-to-day life are three essential things, our time, our talents, and our treasures. And how do we bring them together? We started the first week recovering our focus, that everything that our life is about, including those resources, is for God. It's about a passionate pursuit of Him personally, but also His purposes, living out God's plan on earth, bringing the kingdom. The beginning of the Lord's Prayer comes to mind. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Above all things we seek you. But then your kingdom come, which means your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the focus of our lives. The person of God in deep relationship with him and then extending his reign on planet earth through the bringing of the gospel and by how we live, bringing all that we are under that lordship of Christ. So we talked about recovering our focus. Then we spent a Sunday on redeeming our time and then we spent a Sunday on refocusing our talents and abilities. Now we are spending three weeks on money. Jesus speaks about money more often than any other subject except the kingdom of God. Because money is not just about money. Jesus' own words, where your treasure is, it's where your heart is. Money is about our heart. Spiritual maturity, discipleship, go hand in hand with stewardship, with how we handle our money. There's no such thing as a mature Christian that hasn't figured out how to let God rule and manage and use their resources. So as a pastor, it's really my job. You you should be thankful we're only taking three weeks to talk about it. You should really be thankful for that. If this was Jesus up here, every other week, promise you. We're focusing on three basic principles in Scripture about our stuff. And last week we talked about contentment. Today we're gonna talk about stewardship. Next week we're gonna talk about generosity. And the idea is if you understand these concepts in the Bible, it will liberate you to feel like, yeah, I can do this. I can manage my resources in a way that actually God's blessed and my life gets bigger as a result of that. So I hope that you you find encouragement in what we're saying. Today we're gonna focus on stewardship. Before we do that, let's double back and just review a bit about that principle of contentment Turn with me to Philippians chapter four, where we're going to begin today. Philippians chapter four, going to begin at verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. And these are the verses I want you to focus on. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Don't you want that secret? Don't you want to be content in what God has given you and be at peace with that? Problem for us is in America, we 
don't understand exactly the strength of our resources because we're comparing ourselves to one another rather than the rest of the world. Do you remember last week we looked at the global rich list to see where we fit with the rest of the world? I just want to show you the one graphic which shows that if you make $32,000, you make more than 99% of the people in the world. So if we, who have so much, have structured a society that sucks so much of it away that we feel like we're hardly making ends meet, don't you think there's something wrong? (laughs) Don't you think there's something wrong that we who are in the upper 1% of all income earners feel like we never have enough? How do I know if I'm content? What's your contentment quotient? Let me just uh, put some questions up for you. Do you live below your means? You know what I'm saying? Do you have money left over at the end of the week or do you use up everything? Do you carry routinely thousands of dollars in your short-term credit? You know why you do that? Because you're saying, I want it now even though I don't have the money for it. You might be saying, well, yeah, but emergencies happen. Well, exactly. If you use everything so that when emergencies happen, you have to go into credit, what does that say about your contentment quotient? Do you often say, I need something, when in reality you only want something? There's this thing called first world problems, things that people say who don't know how good they have it. I found this little video I want to show you today to put that into perspective. Stuff people say. So I pay $5 for a two-hour movie and then realize that my flight is only 90 minutes long. I mean, come on. So tired. I think I slept too much. Honey, the fridge is full. Babe, my coffee mug is too tall for the curing. What am I supposed to do with my leftover chicken if I heat this? I'm hungry, but I'm not like hungry, hungry. I'm not hungry, hungry. I'm not hungry, hungry. I'm not hungry, hungry. I don't even know if I'm hungry. It's 11 o'clock, and I don't know whether to eat breakfast or lunch. I think I'm hungry. I hate watching Blu-rays on this TV. It looks too real. I'm not even hungry. My phone is 4G, but we don't have 4G coverage where we live, so it's the worst. This is the worst. No, no, oh, I clicked restart instead of shut down. I have to wait for it to start back up again so I can shut it down. I hate it, I'm like too healthy. I never get to use any of my sick days. Closet full of clothes, nothing to wear. My white noise machine broke last night and I didn't get any sleep. There's nothing to watch. There is nothing to watch. The bottom of my foot has been itching all day but it tickles when I scratch it. I didn't finish brushing my teeth this morning. My battery died halfway through. I hate that. My hair smells like Starbucks. My hand smells like Starbucks. My iPad smells like Starbucks. That's the worst. Just shoot me. Ah, oh, just shoot me. Put me out of my misery. Kill me now. This blanket doesn't have any sleeves. <laughs> it's funny to laugh at until you realize that You've probably said some of those things. Let me give you some more first world rich people problems. Have you ever stood in front of a closet filled with clothes trying to find something to wear? First world problem. Rich people problem. 
Have you ever traded in a perfectly good car just for the newest model? Have you ever complained about your lawn, your contractor, your dentist, your doctor? Have you ever complained about the venti non-fat caramelato latte not being hot enough? Have you ever returned a meal for not being cooked properly? All first world problems, all rich people problems. You see, in terms of understanding who we are, not only in this world, but as God looks at us, we need to start thinking not from scarcity, but from abundance. We need to start recognizing, I have a lot. In fact, I think you probably should get used to saying, I'm rich. Try that out. Just try it. How do I know I'm rich? I have more than I need. I have extra. What do you mean? I don't have extra. Yes, you do. If you spend on anything optional than basic living expenses, you have extra, and the vast majority of the world does not have that luxury, and that makes you rich. And so when Scripture talks about the rich, God's actually talking about you, not the people above your class and your level. So it starts by recognizing I have plenty, but somehow I live in a culture And I've made choices that make it seem like I don't have anywhere near enough. But I actually have plenty. Say, I am rich. Say, I have what I need. I have it abundantly. Because God is providing it. That's what contentment means. Paul had a secret to it. Let's read on and see what he says. Again, verse 12. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then he goes on. Here's one of the secrets. I have learned that I can do everything through him who gives me the strength. And now for sake of time, jump down to verse 19, and we see a second part of that secret. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Paul has learned that experience, the most destitute of circumstances. He's had the opportunity to practice contentment in a way some of you have not been so blessed to practice. Because you've got money in the bank. And he's learned even in the most needing situations, I can be content because God always gives me the strength I need to fulfill his purposes and he gives me the resources I need. And so we landed on this definition of contentment and let's say it together. Contentment, well-being and satisfaction in the God who lovingly provides, not in what he has provided. That's contentment. And that has to be present in our life if we're ever going to use our money, yes, to live, but also to bless. That moves us into principle number two, and that's stewardship. Stewardship is about ownership. And the main question you want to ask is, who owns my stuff? Do I own it, or does God own it? Scripture is very clear. God owns your stuff. You aren't an owner, you're a manager. Let me just show you a couple of verses of many that I could turn to. Psalm 27, 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Not only is your stuff God's, but you're God's. In fact, Paul says you were bought with a price. You are not your own. 
Romans 11, let's say this together. From him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. You see, you either look at your stuff as an owner or you look at it as God's possessions that you're managing. An owner versus a steward. An owner says, my stuff belongs to me. A steward says, my stuff belongs to God, and he has temporarily entrusted it to me. An owner says, I can use my stuff any way I want to. A steward says, I need to use God's stuff to advance his purposes and desires. An owner says, I'm not accountable to anyone about my stuff. A steward says, I will give account to God for how I manage and use his stuff. Now, you may be struggling with this whole notion because you're the kind of person that's worked really hard for what you have. I've worked hard for the money. Let's sing that together. He worked hard for the money. So hard. We say, I've got to have some claim on it. I've worked hard for it. Listen to the words from Deuteronomy 8.18. Remember the Lord your God who gave you even your ability to create wealth. Even that's his. Do you see yourself as an owner or as a steward? The difference is world-shaking. Not only for you personally in opening yourself up to how God wants to use you and bless you in ways beyond all the stuff you're trying to hold on to and lay claim is yours, but for the purposes that God has on planet Earth. It's world-shaking for Christians to get that what they have is all his. It's not a question of how much I'm going to give him of its mine. It's a question of how much should I keep because it's all his. If we just got that right, it would radically change how many of us are choosing to live. I'm gonna take you to one of Jesus' many parables about money, and it's the parable of the talents, and it's in Matthew chapter 25, so let's turn there together. Jesus is speaking about the kingdom of God. You may have one of several viewpoints about what the kingdom of God means in terms of the future, But when Jesus referred to the kingdom, the Greek word for kingdom is basileia, and it's the act of reigning, not a geographical region. So when Jesus is referring to the kingdom of God, he's not referring to a domain that is established geographically over which he rules. He's talking about his authority, and therefore, wherever Jesus reigns, that's where the kingdom is. And when Jesus said he's going to give us, the church, the keys to the kingdom, what that means is that we are the entry point in this day and age into the kingdom of God. You enter into the body of Christ through the shed blood of Jesus. You have entered into and under the reign of Christ. This is the kingdom. And so the parables that Jesus teaches have a lesson for us as citizens of his kingdom. We're going to begin reading at verse 14, Matthew 25. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. 
The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banks at least, so that when I returned, I would have received it back with at least some interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the 10 talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. It's a pretty strong statement. Now, I want to draw out five ideas about stewardship that Jesus presents in this parable. The first is that no one is exempt from being good stewards. Where do I get that? Some got five talents, some got two, some got one. He's saying it doesn't matter what you make, what I'm giving you is mine and you're responsible to be a manager of it. So I can't stress this enough. And I'm speaking to young adults here. When my wife and I were newlyweds, the hardest thing for us to do, because we'd never been taught well, was to get ourselves in the habit of giving sacrificially to the Lord and to his work. And we always justified it by saying, look, we're not really making money yet. (laughs) Yeah, we're renting an apartment, we've got a car, we're buying groceries, we have insurance, and we had a kid, but we're not really making money yet. We can afford those things, but we can't afford to give to God, and God certainly understands it. I wish somebody had taught us early. It took me a long time, and I'll admit to you, I was a pastor before I finally realized the hypocrisy of expecting people to give generously. My salary coming from the generosity of a few people, because like most churches, our church was provided for by less than 20% of the people who could give, and that's a sad fact in churches today. Imagine what churches could do if everyone gave what they were able to give. Imagine what could happen in the kingdom. But that's another story. For me, God really convicted me about that. And I'm able to tell you one of the reasons why I'm comfortable sharing to you about this now is because over the last 15 years or so, I'm unashamed in this area. And next week I'll tell you some of the ways we've learned in order to make sure that our giving is disciplined and generous. But here's the point. Whatever you're making, 
the ability to make it, and the size of that is God's and not yours. And if you're not learning to give God $1 when you're making $10, you will never give God $100 when you're making 1,000. And the thought of giving him 10,000 when you're making 100,000 will seem irrational. You're starting now. No one is exempt from recognizing that what I have, whether it seems small or much, it's God's. And God expects me to use it for his purposes and for his glory. So no one's exempt from it. Second, we are expected to multiply what we have. And how do we do that? We do that by investing in eternal purposes. He's not really talking about investment and return in terms of our economy. He's talking in terms of the kingdom of God. And when we do that, it does return. It comes back to us many times over. We'll look at some scripture of that next week. Third, Jesus will hold every single one of us accountable. He has gone away. He's left us with treasures. He will return, and he will hold us accountable. So whatever you think you're hiding right now in terms of your money, someday it's all gonna be revealed, just like everything else. We will give account. Fourth, how we manage what we have impacts what God trusts us with in the future. Twice, he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with what I gave you. It's interesting, even the one that he gave a great portion of his uh, wealth to, the five talents, that's a great deal of money. Even that one, he says, you were faithful in small things. You know what that means? That means no matter how much you make or how little you make, from God's economy, it's all chump change. And what he's looking is for you to be faithful with that. And if you are faithful with it, because you've been trained, you've been trained to be a steward, that allows him to put more in your hands for his kingdom. I don't understand exactly how that works because this is not a promise of wealth on planet Earth, but it is a promise of blessing and resource. And then finally, and this is startling, to do nothing is the same as losing everything. Even just holding on to what you have is not a godly virtue. It's meant to be invested into eternal purposes. And so just to hold on to it is the same as losing it. Interesting thoughts for us to consider. So now let me wrap up by talking about three aspects of stewardship. Let me just give them to you, then we'll come back and spend a few minutes on each one. Spending, saving, and sharing. When you go back and begin to contemplate the reality of your use of money versus these principles we're learning, think about it in these three areas. Spending. One of the many verses in Scripture about spending is Proverbs 3.9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first of all you produce. How we spend and what we spend it on matters when you get the fact that you're spending God's money, not yours. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first of all you produce. The Bible talks about first fruits. God gets what he wants to use first, not last. God gets it first, 
not last. What I was doing was paying all my bills and then seeing where I was at the end of it and seeing if I could give God what I know I owed him. And it's amazing how rarely I had enough at the end. And finally I said, look, I'm just going to trust God. I'm going to give him what I believe he asked me to give him. I'm going to give it to him first. I'm going to learn to live on the rest. And you know what's amazing? We're doing okay. We're doing okay. Because God is the one I'm trusting, not what God is entrusting me with. God is the one I'm trusting, not what God is entrusting me with. How you spend reflects God's purposes. There's all sorts of ways we could bring that to bear, isn't it? Do I need the luxury model when I can get something a little more stripped down? Do I need the heated leather seats? Is that a need? It is New England. It is cold this week. Is it a need? (laughs) Second, saving. It's certainly a biblical principle to save. Proverbs 2.20, the wise person saves for the future, but the foolish spend whatever they get. A lot of us are foolish. We just spend every single week. And we can't fathom having enough to give to God and to put away. We just can't fathom it. And that's because, in my opinion, the contentment issues of our society. We, we do have options. We just refuse to look at it because we think we need so many of the luxuries that we all assume are part of our life. I, I think for most of us, the fact is we have plenty. Proverbs talks about the ants who work hard and they store up in good seasons so they have enough for bad seasons. That's why we're meant to save. We don't take for granted that the money or the resources that God's putting in our hand now will always be here. We don't save in order to amass irrational amounts of wealth. A common scenario for many households is to say when I have enough in my retirement that I know I can live okay on my current level, then I'll start giving to God. You're robbing God. You're robbing God. You are like another parable of Jesus, the rich fool who had such a good harvest that he found that his current barns weren't big enough. So rather than saying, I have all I need, I'll give this to other people who need, because my barns are plenty big to feed me and my family for a long time, instead he built more barns to hold more. You know what the equivalent to bigger barns are for us in our society, if I could dare to be a little hard here today? The size houses we are currently building I'm amazed. Now, Vit and I are blessed with a, not a small house. We've used it for ministry, and I could explain to you how God provided that, but even our house dwarfs by comparison to the new neighborhoods that are going in near us. Have you seen the size of these houses? We drive by them and we'd say, what kind of people are buying these houses? We're buying bigger houses than ever before, and we're having smaller families than ever before. So we're not buying the houses to house people. You know why we're buying houses? Our stuff. We need bigger houses to fit all our stuff. Bigger barns. And you know what God said to that man? You fool. He said it to him. I'm not saying it to you. (laughs) You fool. This very night, your soul will be required of you. When we know what we really need to live and we've saved as wise stewards for the seasons when we won't have those monies, when we understand exactly what contentment is, there's plenty there for us to give. And that leads us to the third area, and that's sharing. 
sharing 2 Corinthians 9. This is really our theme of next week, so we'll wrap up here. God will generously provide all you need, and having all you need, you will also have plenty left over to share with others. If we get this right, if we understand how we spend, how we save, and how we share is rooted in the principle of contentment, just like a powerful horse that needs to be bridled. A horse has immense, glorious power, but it's useless to its master until it's bridled. Otherwise, it just runs wild. All that you have needs the bridle of contentment so that your master can use it. I think if we develop that spirit of contentment in the one who richly blesses, not in what he blesses us with, we will learn to spend well, kingdom spending. We'll learn to save in a godly way that isn't about trusting in what we have. And then we'll be able to be generous and share with others. Next week we'll look at what generosity looks like, how I can actually be what God calls all wealthy people to be, and that's overflowing with thankfulness and giving to others. I'm thinking of the story of the old woman in the back of a southern church, and the preacher really got going on sexual immorality, and she said, preach it, preacher, and then he got going on the demon of rum, and she said, preach it, preacher, and then he started going about giving, and she said, now you're not preaching, you're meddling. <laughs> Maybe in some way you feel like uh, I've been meddling today, and I, I hope to. I hope so, because that's what God's word's meant to do. I really hope you'll let God do work in your spirit. Not just because I know that God has so much he wants to do through you. I know that if you can make your love for God more powerful than your love for your stuff, your life will be transformed. And you will experience the big life that's only possible when you love God, not money. So Father, I commit all of us to that. We all struggle. And I I don't want to say all of these ideas without being grounded in the reality that life's hard. And I know that there are people here that are struggling week in and week out just to make ends meet. Father, I ask for your provision in their lives. I ask for jobs for those that have been looking. I ask for funding for education for those that don't know how they're gonna make the next tuition bill. I ask for food on the table because you've promised that you'll take care of us. And Lord, I ask that you prove your trustworthiness to people that are really in need here today that have listened to all that I've said and said to themselves, boy, I wish I could struggle with that. I ask that you just take care of them and help them know that they're, they're embraced by your love. I pray for the rest of us, Father, who need to look more soberly and realistically about what we do, who every time we sit down to pay bills or go out to a restaurant or shop at a mall, give ourselves a pass in terms of what we're doing with our money and then ask you for a little bit more. I pray, Father, that you would increase our love for you, our contentment of what you've given us, and fill us with an immense expectation of what you could do, not only in us, but through us, if we can be freed to use our money as stewards. Father, land that principle in our hearts. We don't own it. We've been entrusted with it. 
Help us to use it well and to bless you. Thinking of that verse, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will bless you with much. Enter into the joy of my happiness. Father, it's that joy, that happiness that we seek. In Jesus' name, amen.